Hello. I'm glad you could be with me today as together we get into God's Word. In the Unfolding the Word ministry, we're given over to looking verse by verse through God's revelation, the written scriptures. And we're working our way now through the book of Romans. We're finishing up today, actually, chapter 1 in that book. I want to read today uh, some verses we've been looking at over the last two days, starting in verse 28 through the end of the chapter. Romans 1, 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, <clears throat> insolent, slanderers, haters of God, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. <coughs> Excuse me. And though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Well, we've been talking in this final part of chapter 1 of Romans about the tragic consequences of human rebellion and sin against God, the refusal to turn to Christ as Savior, to find that salvation which is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Starting in verse 18, we've been seeing this degenerating effect and also the universality of sin and accountability before the God who is really there. More recently, starting in verse 24, and in verse 24, 26, and 28, we encountered the phrase, God gave them up. And that was the description of God's determination in the face of human resistance and rebellion to give them over to the power of sin in their lives. He doesn't cause them to sin, but he no longer protects them against that power of sin which lies so close at hand. Verses 24 and 25 talk about the proof of that by the giving over to the power of sin expressing itself in sexual immorality. Verses 26 and 27 gives us the demonstration of being given over into the power of sexual perversion. And here in verses 28 to 20 to 32, we're talking about being given over to the power of a debased mind, a mind that doesn't work right, a mind that in that sense is somewhat insane. It, it doesn't follow the logic, and it leads us into crazy sorts of things. And these things impact how we relate to other people. We've looked at that. It impacts how we relate to God, and we looked at that yesterday. Now today, in our conclusion of this study at this part of the book of Romans, we want to talk about how this debased mind impacts on our response to life itself, not just relationships, and certainly not relationship to God and attitudes toward God, but interaction with life as we live it. And we have here a list of things that are not an exhaustive list, but they're representative. They give us a clear picture of how the power of sin corrupts the human being. And apart from God's gracious intervention with new life in Christ, each of us would be left under the power of these things. Well, let's look at them. First of all, he says, in terms of life in general, the power of sin expresses itself by the fact we actually become inventors of evil. 
Someone asked me one time, well, does the Bible to tell us everything, does it explain every kind of sin that there is? And my answer to that is, well, no. The Bible helps us to understand the essence of sin. It identifies a number of examples of sin. But the fact of the matter is, you and I as human beings are always inventing new ways to sin. We're creating new expressions of that sinful orientation. Therein is the indictment of humanity. Its creativity, having been created in the image of God, is corrupted into becoming an invention of evil, being the great expression of creativity. The second thing that he talks about in these verses is he says, we are disobedient to parents. Boy, isn't that a truth? Uh, One of the most sort of enlightening discoveries for a young parent is to realize they've been sold a bill of goods by their culture. The idea that their children are so innately good, you just give them a little bit of room and they'll develop in a nice, wonderful way. They discover very early that, no, listen, I didn't have to train my child to sin. They sinned. I didn't have to train them to be rebellious. It just came out of them. I didn't have to train them to be disobedient. They inevitably became disobedient at times. Well, I don't mean there's not good things in the child or things that we love, of course, but what God is making plain to us is inherent to the human condition is a resistance to authority. It starts out demonstrating itself against the authority of a parent, but it continues throughout all of life. Humanity remains ultimately resistant and resistant to authority in all of its forms, which is why, by the way, that the scripture tells us that Government and authority has the sword because it has to coerce obedience, essentially, on the national and local levels. Well, he also says in these verses that we were reading, they were foolish. People show themselves to be fools in terms of their life choices. (laughs) Fools, first of all, in the sense of resisting God and not bowing the knee before the Lord, Psalm 14.1 says, only a fool says in his heart there is no God. They're rejecting what they know intuitively within. We've talked about that already. Then certainly they're rejecting what life itself in an observation of creation certainly would drive home to us. But they are also fools, not only in rejecting God per se, but in rejecting God's revelation to us in the form of the scriptures. They exchange God's word for human ideas. And the fact of the matter is, human ideas always end up in foolishness. The Ephesians chapter 4 talking about the world's ideas says the world is darkened in its understanding. That's the reality of things. And as a result, people become foolish, darkened in their life choices. And they refuse generally to admit it unless all else fails and they're forced into a corner and have to admit the foolishness of the choice that they've made. So inventors of evil, disobedient to parents and authority in general, foolish in life choices, rejecting what God says, the moral frames of the scriptures, and exchanging them for human wisdom and ideas. They also, in addition to that, show their their orientation to life in general with a debased mind by what I often call the terrible three. What are those? Faithless, heartless, ruthless. What a terrible, terrible collection of words that are described for us here in verse 31. Faithless, meaning human beings can't be trusted. Therein is the dilemma, isn't it? 
people have such a difficult time trusting other people. And inevitably, when they have trusted other people, frequently their trust was betrayed. It's an amazing thing to find a faithful man or a faithful woman. Heartless means people are not driven primarily by compassion. That isn't the dominating characteristic. And so instead of being driven by compassion and concern and pity, they're driven by the opposite, heartlessness, which explains humans' ability to simply overlook needs around them. And then ruthless, meaning they will do whatever they have to do to get what they want. They will ignore all restriction and they will certainly turn their back on all moral obstacles if what they want requires them to be immoral. As if that wasn't enough, the terrible three, the foolish life choices, the disobedience to parents and authority, the invention of evil, uh, we encounter in, these, in verse 32, the final verse of the chapter, yet a fifth of these things, these individuals with debased minds encourage others to live degenerate, debased lives. They know intuitively that it's in opposition to what God says. And then in their life itself, life choices themselves have convinced them, at least they know it to be true, that they've made wrong choices. And the sin choices they've made have hurt them and hurt other people. And yet, they approve and encourage people in that direction. And the culture itself positively works to encourage people to practice what the Bible describes here is debased minds, debased thinking, degenerate thinking. Look at your culture. Look at what is pushed, what is presented in tantalizing ways to people, <laughs> and compare it to what the scriptures have to say. Well, what's the bottom line here? Let's draw it together. All of this latter part of the, of the first chapter of Romans underscores for us sin's mastery over the human being and the need for all people to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. The power of God unto salvation that was talked about in verse 16 of this chapter is a necessary power for everybody because everybody is alienated from God due to their sin choices. And those very sin choices and resistance to God leads in turn to slavery, to sin, and that slavery will express itself in various ways. Being given over to sexual immorality, being given over to sexual perversion, or the many forms of debased thinking and mind that we've been looking at. Well, someone might look at all of that and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as some people. And that brings up the question, well, what about good people? relatively good, who aren't quite as debased, aren't quite as immoral. And the second chapter of the book of Romans turns attention to that question, what about good people? And you might understand already the answer, even good people are under accountability before God. Join me as we continue our study, Lord willing, tomorrow in chapter two of the book of Romans.